Welcome to Divorce Etc. hosted by us, the ex-experts. We're here to give you all kinds of information and tips on everything divorce. Plus, we're asking a lot of the questions that you may not even think of or know to ask, but we know because we've lived it, so we get it. We're Jessica and TH. Welcome, everybody, and welcome, Evan Weinstein, to today's podcast. Evan is a partner at Weinstein Family Law and noted proud husband and father. So he is a family man and he practices in the state of New Jersey as a family law attorney on both sides, mediation as well as litigation if necessary. So welcome to our podcast today. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for taking the time. Oh, it's always a pleasure. So what So what we wanted to kind of dig into today is you know, what are the top three questions people ask you when they walk into your office for a consultation? There's two that are, are the most prevalent by far. The uh, first one is, how long is this process going to take? And the second is, um, how much money will it cost me? Uh, after that, I would say there's there's two more that are very uh, that are. They actually aren't that close, but they're the two other most prevalent questions. Number one is, will I be able to still drive my BMW when all this is said and done or take a trip to France or, you know, or do whatever? And then um, the other one would be, will my children be okay after all this is said and done? Isn't that funny that the kids come after the BMW? I mean, it's you a, have to be it, mama's yeah. got to be happy. <laughs> it's a, you, well, I would say this, that. The first time that a client comes to see me, they generally are nervous. Yeah, they are they are stressed out by uh, being in a, a uh, not the best type of relationship, and they have fear of the unknown because right. for most they've never dealt with the process before, sure. and so I certainly can empathize with them, um, and I try to be soothing. But I try to be realistic from the beginning because um, it's okay to have hope. It's never okay to have false hope. So I really uh, take pride in the fact that I'm able uh, to offer my clients good advice um, from the minute they start talking to me. Do you feel like they're shocked by your answers in the beginning because they may be thinking, something based on either someone else's experience that they know or just la la land. And then you come in as a straight shooter. What's their reaction? Shock is an understatement. I would say that many people that um, first talk to me, um, they are completely baffled by uh, the process. And I really attribute that to both the media and friends of theirs, because everyone knows someone who's been divorced. Everyone has family, friends, or whomever. So everyone knows someone that's divorced. And everyone has a story they share about their divorce. And so, and the stories are, are usually never good. Just, they're just never good. So right. people start seeing me and they already have this kind of negativity, this kind of negative energy. And um, I try to make that in, I try to be as realistic as possible, but I always try to, to, to demonstrate to people that there is a life after all this is done and they're going to go forward 
their family is going to go forward and things will change, but they don't have to be horrible. But don't you feel like if they're coming in to some extent with sort of like a negative perspective about it, that like you're going to be managing their expectations up because they're already coming in with like a worst case scenario. Well, no, not really, because um, a lot of times people that are coming to see their attorney, they want blood. You know, they're thirsty for blood. So they they do want. Yeah, they're angry. They're um, upset. And even it's oftentimes even the spouse that wants to get divorced. And if the other spouse does not want to get divorced, the the spouse that wants to get divorced really has some anger as well. Um, And um, it's just part of the process is dealing with the emotions and um, trying to separate the emotion from the legal principles. And I would encourage everyone that is considering to get divorced to, um, to have an honest conversation with their attorney and also their spouse. I mean, it, there's no reason why two people that, that once loved each other can't try at least to work on things as part of their divorce. So what, so those are the questions that you get, but what are the questions that people really should be asking you when they come into your office? You get those other ones, but what should they be asking you? If they have children, they certainly should be asking what would be a a fair way to co-parent children? Uh, That's a very important question, I think, for uh, parents to ask. Um, and then another question should be that it's very common that one spouse feels like the other spouse knows more about their economics, their um, interpersonal yeah. economics. Um, Don't you and feel that's the truth, though? Like in most cases? It, it often is the truth. Yeah. It, it absolutely it. is. Yeah. And what I, what I tell people is, is that although we may, we may never know all the details of every single financial transaction through discovery, we should be able to get a pretty accurate sense of how things are. Mm -hmm. Are we going to be able to account for every penny that was spent during the marriage? No, it's an impossibility. And you shouldn't be wasting your time and money doing that. Do you recommend accountants? Do you work with them? In, in cases where there's an issue of dissipation of assets in cases where there's valuation issues, in cases where there's a discrepancy as to what the standard of living was or has been or should have been. Right. Yes. So will you explain those terms a little bit more for people in case they don't know what that means? Valuation? Sure. What do those things mean? Okay. All right. So I am a businessman. I'm a lawyer and I, I have an interest in my law firm. If I were to become divorced, which I hope I never do, by the way, but if I were, the value of my interest in my business, in my law firm, would have to be valued. The only way to determine the value would be to have an accountant, a forensic accountant, come in and value my interest in my firm. They -hmm. would be looking at financial documents that my firm maintains. Um, They'd be looking at 
various expenditures from the business, if I pay my personal expenses through the business, they'd be looking for various um, things. And they're, they're trained. They're trained to uh, look for certain types of transactions. And they're trained at valuing businesses. And uh, that would happen. Um, if there's an issue of dissipation of assets, meaning that if one party spent monies for non-marital purposes, and when I say non-marital purposes, I'm saying if they supported a third party for a significant period of time, like um, like a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and they were buying lavish presents or paying rent or something like that, that would be dissipation. If someone had a gambling problem, a drug problem, sex addiction, any kind of thing like that. So money that spent would, on something other than the family. Other than the family. for um, Now, it's okay to spend for one person's benefit. For example, that if one party was to have, let's just say, a country club membership, and they were the only one to use that, and, you know, typically that's an expensive thing to have yeah, yeah. Um, or or uh, plastic surgery or something of that nature that only typically benefits just one person. Um, yeah. That's not considered dissipation. It's it's spending on non-marital purposes. Gotcha. We should get into that more in another in another podcast because probably, that's probably yeah. pretty far and wide. Yeah, it, well, yes, it's far and wide, but as a legal matter, it's really isolated to a very certain type of relationship that someone has to with someone else. Um, the other issue that we spoke about is lifestyle. Right. Um, and lifestyle is how you live, how you spend your money, and what, what type of things you did mm-hmm. as a couple, as a family. And I like traveling or... To get back to the kids stuff for a moment, like in terms of, I mean, deciding a custodial situation isn't always so simple, depending on where you live. I understand that sometimes the encouragement is like towards 50-50 and sometimes that's just not possible based on, you know, who the parents are, et cetera. But Tish and I have had conversations a little bit about like, well, what are the rights of, of everybody else when it comes to having access to the kids? So if you are divorcing someone and now, you know, it, let's just say, which is not my situation, but if I had, you know, full, cu- cu- you know, physical custody of my kids all the time and they only full saw residential dad, custody, full yeah. residential custody, and they only saw their dad, you know, every other weekend or something like that. But prior to the divorce, his mother would come in and see the kids three times a week. Right. And now I theoretically could choose to some extent. Right. Like, well, how does that I'm curious, how does that work? Okay. well, there is some there is something called grandparents visitation um, and there's various case laws uh, nationwide, uh, but they all pretty much follow the same concept that if the if the grandparent had a relationship prior to the separation, um, that grandparent should be able to maintain whatever relationship they had um, at prior. Mm-hmm. And so if if a grandmother or a grandfather served as a um, after uh, school caregiver, um, something like that would be allowed to continue. Mm-hmm. 
And in many ways, it would be encouraged because it would be some level of consistency for the child. Because as anything with kids, the bottom line has to be whatever's best for them and whatever is in their best interest. And I mean, how can you say no to grandma? Well, so what do you do in situations where maybe like in my specific case, like my parents live far away. I live in New York City. My parents live in Florida. They love my kids. They call them all the time. But, you know, we only probably see them three or four times a year in person. So what would the rights be of grandparents like that, where it would be very easy if they were with my ex? And again, this is not our situation. We're super right, right, but we're sure. or I could could put the kibosh on, oh, I'm so sorry, they're not available that day, or that's not going to work out. You know, there's like ways you can kind of blow them off. How, they would get blown off. Like they would uh, they would get blown off and there'd be very little legal recourse. Because they're not in state. Because, no, it's not because they're out of state. It's because they didn't they have, didn't that, have that, 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 that ongoing contact on a, a regular basis Um, but but again but again that's an issue that can be hopefully resolved uh, not in the courtroom hopefully through negotiation through talking through counseling through whatever Um, and typically typically that if grandparents are living in florida or california or missouri and they saw their children three or four, they saw their grandchildren and their children three or four times a year, they'll still be able to do that. Um, Mm. And um, it's, their families do continue and there is life with families after this. Hopefully. People find out, I mean, people find ways to do it. It's just different, but people find ways to do it. We we have a story where um, the, the wife was so bitter after the divorce that she ended up figuring out a way to not include the husband's parents at a significant life event, like, you know, oh, yeah. fish and, and, and so like, you know, there, there are things. Unbelievable. It was really unbelievable. That was, that was on people, my side. People spend thousands of money on me to try to limit the other side from being part of a bar, a bar mitzvah or a wedding or whatever. And I always tell them, look, at the end of the day, it's probably likely in the best interest of the child that both parents, both sets of grandparents were are present at a major life cycle event. And you're doing a disservice to your child yeah. um, by not allowing that. And so um, I generally uh, try to discourage alienating elements of people's families. Um, uh, I think that many people think that lawyers, especially divorce lawyers, don't really have a great sense of morality. Um, but I can tell you this is that I, I am guided by my, by my own morality and um, it means a lot to me. And um, I try to do the right thing. It's obviously, I mean, I have a job and I have to represent people to the best of my abilities because I did take an oath to do that. But um, when it's all said and done is that um, I do care about people and I care about kids and I care about kids that are going through the process. And so do you often, or maybe the word isn't often, but I mean, you know, how or how often do you feel like you're in there and you're fighting for something and you're like, I don't want to, like you're doing the wrong thing. I personally hate arguing about 
personal property, like, you know, dishes, um, stuff like that, like uh, furniture. I, I didn't go to law school to learn how to do that kind of thing. That's not something that I enjoy doing. Um, and I don't think I'm trained necessarily for that. Um, and so I try to discourage things that I believe are taking away from the serious issues that people really do have. Uh, there are a lot of serious issues in a divorce and people should not be spending their time, money and energy on minutia. No one wants your used furniture, no one. It becomes a power play. You know, I know yeah. how I'm gonna stick on my, I'm gonna take that painting or I'm gonna take that, his mug, or I'm gonna, you know, it, the emotional part of divorce. I mean, I truly believe it. If there was a way to cut out the emotion and just handle your business, it would be a hell of a lot cheaper. So you could, you'd be able to say, it'll be inexpensive. It'll be done in a year. <laughs> and you'll have all the answers that you're always hoping to give somebody if they weren't so emotional. And it's totally normal to be emotional. But Divorce sucks it's, and, it, and it's hard. It's also, you're so right. It's such a power play because someone was just telling me recently about how uh, when they got divorced, uh, it was a guy telling me the story. And, and when they got divorced, they had worked it out. They, they like both wanted the house and she ended up getting the house. And as soon as it was over, she sold the house. Like she just didn't want him to have the house. Uh, no, it's a power play. It, um, it, and it's such a waste of time. Like I have the same situation. I know someone who had a boat and she never used the boat. Right. She never mm -hmm. wanted him to have the boat. The boat was, but in the divorce, she had to have the boat. Yeah. It's I, so, that is such, it is such a common thing. What both of you are saying, it is so common. It is so common, in fact, that I spent this morning spending two hours in a mediation where stuff like that was going on. I mean, this is an everyday thing. And I try, I try my best. I try my best right from the beginning of any kind of uh, a meeting or any kind of interaction that we're talking about what I consider to be non-issues. And I try to control the situation by saying, we're going to resolve it this way. There's no reason not to. And I try to guide the process in a way that I think is fair for everyone and um, and really minimizes uh, the acrimony. And there are various ways to do that. I mean, yeah. that if that if two people are looking to get a pound of flesh and if there's a way of somehow making it more neutral, then I'll propose something that's neutral. Like, for example, that if two people are arguing about like a car and if they have like a 15 year old child, you can just say, well, don't you want this car to go to your child? And so maybe that's a solution. There, there right. are always solutions that exist. There are always fair solutions that exist. And I try my best to steer things towards that direction. What do you feel like are your kind of standard parameters in terms of talking to people about what it, when it comes to dealing with the kids and the family, the pets and things like that? Do you feel like you have sort of a, a standard type goal? I mean, obviously the way that you're navigating in every situation is going to be different, but do you feel like you go in and you're kind of like, okay, this is the plan for all of this. And what would that be? Um, kids... <laughs> When it comes to kids, there's there's never like a um, like a, a 
there's never one perfect solution, uh, you know, because kids are so unique and they're so special and they're so important to people that you can't like generically say that this is a good thing for every kid. But what I like to do is I always try to look at things from the child's perspective and then take it from there and then relate my client's perspective to the kid's perspective and try to mesh the two. And then I try to mesh the other parent's perspective. And, and that I think is, is a good thing to do when it comes to children because they shouldn't be the ones suffering because of their parents. Right. right. And in the end, you want your kids to be okay and you get you, caught up yeah. in your bad behavior and lose sight of the fact that there's collateral damage from this. Yeah. I mean, I think every parent, I mean, there are some parents that don't share this philosophy, but I believe that most parents want their children to grow up to be well-adjusted, healthy, um, happy people and productive people, people that are going to, you know, make a difference in society and whatever they choose to do when in their lives. Um, And it's the cases where parents don't want their children to have that kind of uh, future that it's concerning because they are putting their own self-interest ahead of their children. And that's, that's a no-no for me, so. You had written um, something about child support, which obviously is a huge issue when it comes to divorce and, and navigating that. I, I don't know what it's like state to state. I know in New York, yeah. in New York City in particular, it's based on a formula up to- I think that most, yeah. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I think most states have like a, have some type of formula that they've adopted. And um, and whether it's a percentage of your income or a percentage of the differentials of various things, there's some type of formula. And but the bottom line is, is that um, there's usually a cap on how much child support someone should pay. There's something called the uh, three pony rule is that no kid should ever have three ponies. Um, uh, So there's some kind of limitations on that. But child support. is something that the recipient spouse is always going to get some benefit from receiving child support. That's a concept that is hard for many pay or spouses to grasp. Mm -hmm. And I can understand why, um, but there's no way around it. Everyone has an obligation to support their children, both the mother and the father have an obligation. And so there's going to be that incremental benefit that the recipient spouse gets. There's no way so to separate explain, the parent from the child. Explain what parents live with the child. Exactly. Explain what it is for people so they understand. In what the most word. I would say basically child support is a contribution from a spouse that uh, either has a higher income or significantly more assets to the spouse that would have less income and or less assets or both. And it's amount of money per month that's used to cover certain expenses that are recurring, like your uh, housing, uh, like uh, transportation. 
um, and and certain personal expenses as well, like uh, clothing and food and haircuts, um, yeah, haircuts, uh, doctor's appointments, stuff like that, tutoring, something like that, maybe. Right. Tutoring so, generally is considered an add-on, but there should be a percentage paid by. So that everybody is aware, child support is financial. It's not the time you spend. It could be related. There could be a component that if you spend more time, that meaning that if the recipient spouse is spending more time than the payer spouse, there could be more payment paid to the payer, to the recipient spouse because the amount of time and the amount of cost that they would incur. Right. But yeah, so it's a function of that, of the parenting time plan and the economics. And always something that people are always arguing about. And I've heard multiple stories of people trying to go back to the courts and have adjustments made based on their tax returns from the prior year or, you know, a, a dip in salary. Although actually, as we're talking about it, I wonder if like post pandemic, if a lot of child support arrangements are being modified based on the fact that a lot of people's jobs and incomes must have changed during the last couple of years. I was to anticipate um, a boom in my profession, so to speak, in my kind of niche as a lawyer. I, I think there will be a lot of modifications to both child support and alimony in the mm-hmm. foreseeable future because um, I think most of the financial experts are predicting some kind of change to the economy. I hope personally that there is no change to the economy and that things stay relatively healthy. I'm not looking uh, for bad things to happen, even though it may help my business. Um, but uh, uh, I think there will be um, a lot of those issues if there's a significant change to the economy. And um, yeah. I find that to be unfortunate. And it is what people should also know is that when it comes to the modification of support, whether it's child support or alimony, they're actually very costly legal proceedings. And that's what I'm saying. You have to decide if it's really worth it. Right. And if a family is suffering financially, um, a great alternative to traditional litigation over the change of circumstance would be to pursue that issue in mediation. Um, it just, it would make more sense than wasting money on the legal process. Now, the legal process has to be a certain way. There's rules, there's procedures. That's never going to change because fairness demands certain things happening. In mediation, you're able to control that and tailor certain rules um, to the benefit of the litigants. Yeah. Um, As always, we have so much more that we could continue this conversation with. So I hope that you'll come back to to do a part two because I feel like we haven't even scratched the surface when it comes to- I enjoyed myself. This was fun for me. I mean, I enjoy my job. So I enjoy talking about my job and, and- I hope that doesn't come across as being uh, uh, pompous or hoity-toity yeah, or whatever. But listen, but, I'd rather go to a divorce lawyer that's not yeah. bitter about the process. Yeah. I've been in it so long and is sick of it. Who still like enjoys being able to make a difference in people's lives? If you're coming from a right. good place, I, uh, I enjoy it. 
it means something to me. I'm a second generation divorce lawyer, and this is what I do. This is I I didn't always think I would end up being a divorce lawyer. I I from the time I was ten, I always thought I was going to be a lawyer, but um, I took family law in law school into class, and I'm, I'm sure we're running out of time. But it made a big diff. It made a big impact on my life, and so now I pursue family law. Well, that's wonderful. And for anyone, who, go ahead, Sage. So what's the one thing that you want our audience to know? That I care about my clients and that they do have a life after all this is said and done. And that I am interested in trying to develop that for them. Love that it. next that's the step. kind of lawyer lives. you want. That, right. Someone that's who's on your team and has your best interests at heart, honestly. Yeah. Not just how much money they're going to bankroll waiting for the judge to see you. So those are things yeah. to keep in mind. So thank you for that, Evan. And, and all of your contact information will be on our site on xexperts.com. For anyone listening, Evan's licensed in New Jersey. Um, you can go check out all of his information at xexperts.com, spelled out, E-X-E-X-P-E-R-T-S.com. And... Um, Subscribe to the podcast. Keep listening. Write in your questions, anything that you want us to talk about or anything you want to know. And we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to Divorce Etc. with the X-Experts. We really hope this episode was helpful for you in getting information you need and feeling empowered to get through it. And always remember there are so many of us just like you. Now, please hit the subscribe button so you always get new episodes and please rate and review us. You can also check out our website filled with free resources at xexperts.com. Follow us on social on Instagram and Facebook and send us an email to let us know your thoughts or any questions or topics you'd like us to talk about. See you next time.